The following sermon is from Four Mile Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. It is our prayer that you encounter Jesus during this message and that you be transformed by His truth. To learn more about Four Mile Creek, visit us online at fourmilecreek.org. Okay, uh, Mississippi State fans, how'd you do? Cool, okay. Uh, Alabama, you got beat. Tough loss. Sorry. Uh, Any Auburn fans? No? Well, that's unfortunate. Um, State fans, how'd you do? Well, I've already asked I'm an Ole Miss. David's an Ole Miss fan. How'd y'all do, David? You beat Tulane. Uh, Kind of have to root for Tulane. Only grew up about 15 minutes from them. Uh, We are Tiger fans in our household. I have no idea how the Tigers did yesterday. I'm crunched for time this weekend and everything else, so I didn't have a chance to watch it or, or check anything. But let me tell you something about LSU football. LSU football, uh, in the fourth quarter, if you're in the stadium, uh, your fans will begin to do something like this. In fact, I want you to I want you to take your right hand, and I want you to hold it up like this, all five fingers. I want you to take that thumb. I want you to put it in, right? So it's going to look a lot like this. And I want you to do this. So in the fourth quarter, you can stop that now. You look a little foolish. Um, but in the fourth quarter, LSU fans will start doing that. And if you ask an LSU fan today what that means, they're going to say that they're telling the team it's the fourth quarter. Now, if you're an old deacon of man, uh, mine named Fred Lambert, who's had season tickets for over five decades, and uh, he's been there and he's been around for quite a minute, uh, he'll tell those around them something like this. He'll say, do you know what that means? They'll say, well, I'm telling the team it's the fourth quarter. And he'll say something like this, look around for me. There's 107,000 people in this stadium. There's clocks all around. The announcers are saying it's the fourth quarter. Who in this stadium is unsure that it's the fourth quarter? <laughs> and they'll just kind of, well, you know, I never thought about that. And so he'll say, well, can I tell you what it means? And inevitably, because now they're hooked, well, yes. So what it actually means, and it, you know, things lose their meaning over times and people assign new meanings, but when it started all those decades ago, story says that it means to finish strong. And so Tiger fans in the fourth quarter of the game, they would begin to do telling the team, finish strong. Now, nobody's going to want to eat lunch after this because you're going to be kind of one of, you're, you're going to leave this sermon today one of two ways. You're going to leave this sermon, let's go Jesus, or Lord, we need to do some work first. And I don't know what you're going to be yet. But let's run a mental exercise for a moment. Let's say from the day you're born to the day you die, you have 80 years. 80 years. Now let's go a little bit further. Who, who, who is good at numbers? Anybody good at numbers? Okay, 80, you, you can do this math. What is 80 divided by 4? 20. So you have 80 years. Let's divide it by 4. Let's keep with the football analogy. And let's say that you have four quarters of life. Now, some of you in this room, you are in overtime. But if you're 15, you're in the first quarter. If you're 35, you're in the second. If you're 55, you're in the third. If you're 75, you're in the fourth. If you're 80 or older, you're in overtime. Now, which are you? 
which quarter of life are you in? What I want you to do, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, take that handout, take your notebook, however you're taking notes today, and take your pen and write at the top of your notes, I am in the, in whatever quarter you're in, so in my case, I am in the second quarter of life. If you're in overtime, you might say, I am in overtime. Or maybe you're 75, I'm in the fourth quarter. Or 55, third. Or 15, I'm in the first. So if you're 0 to 20, you're in the first. 21 to 40, second. 41 to uh, uh, 60, uh, you're in the third. If you're 60, uh, 61 to uh, uh, 80, you're in the fourth. If you're 81 or older, you're in overtime. You don't get half times. You don't get timeouts. And by the way, you are not guaranteed the full four quarters. Your game can end today. Now. Um, those are the wrong slides. So we're going to hope they did them right. Sorry, Mitch. Should have told you. It's okay. If they're close enough, they're good. Okay. Um, I didn't communicate very well about the slides. But it's got the right title, so there we go, okay? But we're starting a new series today, Living with Eter Past the Vapor, Living with Eternity in Mind. And for you to understand this series, you need to understand the brevity of life. You need to understand that life is but a vapor. Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that He has come that we might have life and life abundant. And I think a lot of times what happens is we, we live our life, we go day by day, not really knowing what we're aiming for. We go through the motions, we, we go through the weeks, and we come to the end of it, and we say, well, what have I accomplished? You went grocery shopping? You maybe went and fixed the deer plot? You maybe cut the grass? Went to a Bible study? But at the end of the day, you don't know of anything you've done to impact the lives of those around you. You don't know of anything you've done for the kingdom and the king of the kingdom. And so you live a disencouraged life. You live a disenfranchised life. You're, you're dissatisfied with it. You say to yourself, Lord, if this is abundant life, I want my money back. Because this is rough. And so how do you make it count? You've got four quarters. Maybe you're in overtime. Maybe you're thinking, I've not made it count. I've just been shooting from the hip, seeing what happens. It is what it is. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Can I tell you, God has a lot more for you than just playing it by ear. He wants you to live an abundant life, but... You're not going to stumble into that abundant life. You, you, you have to live with intentionality. You have to live with purpose. You have to live with a, a, a focus of heart and of mind. Otherwise, you're never going to do it. I want my life to count. I want it to count. I want your life to count because God wants your life to count. If you are in overtime... You might be thinking, well, you know, I've not made my life count up until now. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. You can commit today anew and afresh to make the rest of your days count for the king of the kingdom and the kingdom of the king.
You might be in the first quarter. You might be in high school or uh, just start at college, and you might be thinking, you know, everybody tells me I need to know what I'm doing, but I don't have a clue what I want to do. How do I live a life with purpose? You know, it's been said that a man spends the first 40 years for, of uh, living for success and the last 40 living for significance. Can I tell you this? Every day is an opportunity to live creating a legacy that will last. Now, I want a legacy that's going to last. Do you want a legacy that's going to last? Do you want to live this abundant life that Christ has talked about? I've been mowing this series over since the spring and my prayerful desire is that we're going to come through this series with a greater focus of our a greater focus for our lives so that we can live the rest of our days with passion and purpose for the kingdom. I want mine to count. Boy, as quiet as y'all have ever been. And I want yours to count. And so as we go through this series in these next few weeks, and we're going to be in it for a while, we're going to look at different characters of the Bible. I don't want you to, to, to elevate these men and women we're going to be looking at as something that is unattainable for us. The same power that motivated them and indwelled them and, and moved them to obedience is the same power we have through the indwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit. So if you'll commit to taking this series seriously and letting the Word of God get through your heart and mind, I believe God will speak to you. So what's the motivating uh, verse for this series? In the book of James chapter 4, if you will turn there, James chapter 4, and you need to underline or, or star out this section, whatever you want to uh, do. And if you don't write in your Bible, well, start writing in your Bible. It's okay. Um, Beginning in verse 13, this is what James writes to God's people. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring, writes James, what your life will be. Here it is. Here it is. Second half of verse 14. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So it is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. Do you not know that you are a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes? It appears for a little while, then vanishes. There is coming a day that your heart will stop beating and you will die. There is coming a day that there will be somebody else sitting in your pew exactly where you're sitting because you have passed from this life. You need to understand that life is brief. And if you don't live in light of the reality of the brevity of life, you will squander it. You will die one day. Anybody uncomfortable yet? Your silence is deafening. 
So how do you make it count? It's a vapor. You don't have a lot of time. God wants you to make it count. As your pastor, as your friend, I want you to make it count. I hope you want me to make my life count. So he says, you don't know what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so why should we live with eternity in mind? That's the question we're dealing with today. Why live with eternity in mind? Well, the first thing is that it focuses our attention and affection on the enduring work of God. It focuses our attention and affection on the enduring work of God. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which is where we're going to be at for this point, if you will, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, this is what Solomon writes. He says, There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under the heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search, and a time to count as lost, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. So what does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also, underlined this, he has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, or enjoys all his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking away from it. God works so that, all, so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is has already been and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. Here's what Solomon is saying. God has created within our very heart and mind, he has placed it within our DNA that we know for certain, even if we choose to suppress the knowledge of the truth, we know that this life is not all there is. You look up at the stars and you think, good night. There's got to be something else out there. You look around at creation and you know that there is a creator behind that. All people worship someone or something, even if that someone or something is themselves. Why? Because we know that there is a God who has created these things, who is eternal. And Solomon writes here at the end of his life in Ecclesiastes, by the way, we're going to be looking at Solomon in the coming weeks, and so we're going to be back in Ecclesiastes when we do that. But he writes... And he says, there's a time for all these things. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Listen, one of, the, one of the things that pastoral ministry allows you to have the opportunity 
to do is to be in the hospital. And you can be on one floor holding the hand of a, of, of a loved one as, as they are passing from this life into the next. And then you leave that room and you go to another room where a family is celebrating the birth of a new child. You pray for people to, to be healed who, who are not healed and then others who have lived a long and full life who are sick and you're praying for their healing. They're healed when the person who you were praying for who's maybe in his or her 20s or 30s or 40s and has all this life left before them, they die. There's a time for all these things. And Solomon says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. And if you notice, by the way, there's a contrast here. There's a contrast. Listen to this. Solomon says this. He says, I know there is nothing better for them, verse 12, than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. That's temporary. Uh, we bought a few months ago, when, when it was our anniversary, we went to the uh, uh, blind, blind, is it blind butcher? And Pascagoula, okay, blind butcher, and we bought, uh, I'm a ribeye guy, if I'm going to cook steaks, I want a ribeye, so we bought four of them, and we froze two, and we brought out the other two uh, for Labor Day, and we cooked those, uh, and, and I like a good ribeye, I like a good steak, but, but can I tell you something? I ate that steak. There, there's not an infinite food glitch for steak, is there? There's an infinite food glitch for green onions. Just chop them up, put them in some water, and keep going. And there's this contrast. Solomon says, hey, it's a good thing to enjoy these temporary things, these momentary things, to, to eat, drink, and enjoy the works of your labor. But then listen to what he says. He says, verse, 13, uh, verse 14, I know that everything God does will last forever. Do you notice the contrast there? We can enjoy the, tempor the, 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 the temporary things that, that God allows us to enjoy, but at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to last is the work of God. And what living with eternity in mind is it focuses our attention and affection on the enduring work of God because we know this isn't everything. It focuses our mind upon the fact that this world is not our home. It focuses our affection, our heart's affection, our heart's desire upon the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom. Because it is He who we, who we will be worshiping and serving for all eternity. And when we've been there 10,000 years, we'll, not have a, uh, we'll have another 10,000. And 10,000 after that to sing His praises more and more. There is the fact that our mind's attention and our heart's affection are focused on the enduring work of God. We are pushed to this reality. We are reminded of this. Jesus confirms this reality, by the way. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, he says, Don't store up for yourself treasures, and, uh, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Some people who don't know Christ, in fact, all people who don't know Christ, they are working for the moment. They are working to build the bank account. They are working to build the resume. They are working to build their prestige and their reputation. But can I just tell you all those things? just like that, can be gone. When you die, what does it matter that you were a billionaire? You can't take your money with you. In fact, I, I remember the story of a, of a man who was a millionaire and he told his wife when he died, he said, I want to be buried with my money. 
Well, you can't deny a dying man his last wish. He was dying when he asked for it. She said, sure, honey, we'll do that. And so they're at the funeral, and everybody knew he made this request. Casket is closed. It wasn't an open casket funeral, and everybody's talking about this request he made. And somebody asked this lady, well, is he buried with his money? Absolutely, she said. Well, what are you going to do? And she said, oh, I'll be fine. I wrote a check and stuck it in his pocket. <laughs> I guess you can be buried with your money, but what's it, good, what's it going to do for you? Don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Uh, uh, treasures on earth, Jesus says, where moth and rust destroy. Don't live for the moment because the moment doesn't last. Let me tell you, before October, November of 2021, I, I, was, I was in tip-top shape. Had a medical procedure, been downhill. Finally leveled out about the start of this year. Momentary, temporal things don't last, but heavenly treasures and pleasures endure. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Let me ask you something. What are you, what are you building up? What treasures are you storing up? Are you storing up earthly treasures and pleasures or heavenly treasures and pleasures? Are you going to die with all of this money and all the accolades and all the prestige to be somebody that is quickly forgotten years later? In fact, sometimes it's not even years later. Or are you going to be a person who lives their life to the glory of God so that when you die, people can say, man, this man or this woman really impacted me for Christ. I was thinking about this this week. There was a young man a few years ago that I shared the gospel with. He did not make a decision uh, 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 to surrender his life to Christ, but he had never heard of the gospel before. He had never heard of Jesus. I shared it with him on a uh, Tuesday or Thursday morning in Covington, Louisiana. I was thinking about this man this week. He was 18 years old, on his way to court because he got busted with some drugs, and he was on his way there. And I just looked at him and I said, Can I tell you that one day you will stand before the eternal judge, and you're either going to stand before him as the judge or as uh, one who has been saved by him. So which is it going to be? I told him about Christ. He didn't know. I was thinking about him this week. I don't know if he's ever made a decision for Christ. I don't know if he's given his life to Christ. I'll never know that until I get to heaven. But I was thinking about that, that if he did, he's not going to remember my name. I doubt he will. But he'll remember that one day at the racetrack in Covington, so not, 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 not like a vroom vroom racetrack where you fill up with gas racetrack. Exit 50 going west, you can find one on I-10. Uh, exit 50 go left. But at the racetrack, uh, this man shared the gospel with me. I didn't make a decision that day, but I never forgot that that's when I first heard it. Where are you placing your treasures at? Where are you storing up for yourself treasures? Is it here or is it in God's kingdom? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you will. Flipping over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 18, uh, this is what uh, 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 Paul says, speaking about 
what you're building up, what you're doing in life. Who are you living it for? Who are you building it for? This is what he says. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds it. For no one can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. By the way, let me just say this. If you're not building your life upon Jesus Christ, at the end of it, your life's going to count for naught. It's not going to count for anything. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss but he himself will be saved. Then he goes on and says, Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives within you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and that is what you are. You are God's temple and you are holy. You need to use the temple for the glory of God. He has placed eternity in your heart. You know that this is momentary. You know this is temporary. You know that this life is not what it is. But you know what? You and I are tempted so often to say this, I know that, but I'm not going to live like it. I was praying yesterday morning, and I'll just tell you, I said, Lord, I am so easily given to cowardice when it comes to sharing the gospel. I will go somewhere, and I will be anticipating an opportunity of God. And then an opportunity hits me in the face like a wet squirrel, and I say, that was pretty funny, but I'll get to the opportunity, and I'll just coward out Lord I'm so easily given to cowardice if I really believe hear this if we really believe if I really believe that people are dying and going to hell without the gospel that you are damned to an eternity in hell without salvation found in the Lord Jesus Christ don't you think I want to rescue you by just telling them the gospel. By the way, I don't rescue anybody. The rescue that I do is, let me throw you a lifeline, and this lifeline is Jesus. You've got to take it, because it's not me that saves. But if I honestly believe that, I will live a life that is characterized by telling others about Christ. I'm not responsible for their decision. I shared the gospel recently with a guy who started getting pretty frustrated with me. I wasn't being rude or arrogant or anything like that. I was just telling him what the gospel was. I'm not responsible for his decision, but I am responsible for my obedience. If I want to live a life that counts, I'm going to be obedient. So what if I preach to the masses, but I never obey Christ in my personal life? So what if you serve on leadership teams at this church, but you never obey Christ in your personal life? If you want it to count, it's not going to come through being on a leadership team in this church or any church. My goodness! Baptist churches, heard, I, I heard a statistic recently, it was an older statistic, but it was estimated 10 to 15 years ago that approximately 50% of Baptist churches are filled with unregenerate people. By the way, the pandemic, I think, weeded a lot of that out. A former pastor I served under preached a sermon after everything had started normalizing again. He said, to COVID-19 with many things. 
It's not going to come through your service. It's going to come through your obedience. Do not serve to, to find earthly pleasures and treasures. Jesus says in Matthew 6, by the way, when he's talking about prayer, that if you're praying to be heard by those in the synagogues, you have your reward. But if you're praying so that God hears you, he will hear your prayer and he will honor your obedience. So live a life with intentionality. Live with your mind's attention and heart's affection upon the enduring work of God. Put your money there. Put your energy there. Put your effort there. The reason that you so often feel discouraged is that you're not working for the right thing. You treat your job as something to put bread on the table and not something to honor the Lord with. You treat your marriage as something to get your needs met and not to be sanctified and not to sanctify the other person. You treat leadership here as an opportunity to build up your resume and to strut around like a peacock instead of serving the King of Kings. And when you die... People are going to say, well, that's, that's a bad thing that, little, uh, that, 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 that Johnny died there. But boy, I'm sure glad we don't have to deal with him in those leadership meetings anymore. Boy, I'm sure glad we don't have to hear him complain about every issue instead of ever offering a solution. I'm sure glad that we don't have to worry about him trying to make a name for himself here. We can just go on trying to make Jesus known and all the Moss Point. Or do you want to be the person that people say, man, there went a saint who understood what it meant to live for God and be obedient to Him in all things. Life is too short to live it for yourself. It is too short to live it for yourself. If you're not living it for Christ, it's for naught. So living with eternity in mind focuses your attention and affection upon the enduring work of God. It also energizes us for obedience to Christ. Look over in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to next. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul exhorts the Ephesians to live with intentionality, to live with focus, to, to live a consistent Christian life. Can I just tell you, there is a practical connection. Uh, there, there is a connection between practical Christian living and the second coming of Christ. Go read First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, for that. But listen to what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Some of you claim to be wise, but by your life, I don't know if you are or not. And by the way, I hope that when you look at my life, you say, you know, sometimes he does some unwise things, but by and large, he's doing some wise things. You're not going to do it perfect all the time, but you want to do it perfect more times than not. He says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise, but as wise people, making the most of the time, underline this, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Make the most of your time. Seek to be obedient to what God is calling you to today. Yesterday's gone. You can't go back to yesterday. You can't do anything with tomorrow. Be obedient today. It prompts us to obedience today. Can I just tell you, past disobedience can't be corrected. It can only be confessed and repented of. So confess and repent of it and move on. 
Seek to be obedient today. Lord, I had an opportunity yesterday to share the gospel and I didn't take the opportunity. Confess and repent of it. Seek an opportunity today. Lord, I wasn't very gracious and uh, 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 compassionate toward my spouse when, when he or she brought a, uh, a, a topic of discussion up with me. Repent of it. Confess of it. Go and seek reconciliation with your spouse and then come and seek to do right today. It motivates us. It energizes us for obedience. If you're not obeying Christ, you don't really love Him. Go read 1 John. Are you struggling with whether or not you're saved? Read 1 John. We know that we're saved because we keep the commandments of the Lord. And the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. 1 John 5.13 The commands... I'm sorry, 1 John 5.3 The commands of the Lord are not burdensome. 1 John 5.13 says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know that you have eternal life. Live being energized for obedience. Solomon, at the end of his life, he writes this in Ecclesiastes 12. He says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep His commands because this is for all of humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Here's what Solomon says. At the end of life, when, when it's over, when you're crossing over into eternity, let it be said that you feared God and you kept His commands. Let it be said that you were one who was marked by a consistent life of obedience. Notice I didn't say a perfect life of obedience. I said a consistent life of obedience. God does not call us to be perfect, though He does call us to pursue perfection. He does call us to be consistent in our living for Him. So by His grace, we share the gospel with the boldness He gives. In Colossians 4, Paul writes, he says, Pray that God would give us an open door for the gospel to proclaim it as clearly as we ought. We should give generously to God through the local church. I realize I'm short on time, so I'm about to be going through this. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6-9, Paul essentially says this, If you're not giving joyfully, don't give. But can I tell you something? Your money's not your own. You can't take it with you. Be generous to God and His church. And if you can't give it joyfully, then don't give it. But don't walk around and pretend like you are giving it. Be intellectually honest. Be a person of integrity. No, I'm not giving. Okay. Then when we have a conversation about finances in this church, stop talking about it. We'll pray that God gets your heart right and we'll go on from it. But be obedient. Be obedient because He has saved you. Know this, you're not immortal. So make your life count with your obedience to Christ. If today were your last day, if you go home today and you eat lunch and you sit in your recliner and you doze your eyes off and you go to sleep and when you open your eyes you're in the presence of the Lord, will it be said that you went out serving Christ today? Well, pastor, I've served Him so well before. Past obedience, while important, does not supersede present obedience and position. Mike Miller, who was a deacon at the church I grew up in, um, was in law enforcement his professional life, owned a restaurant, man. Uh, listen, not very many people can outcook me when it comes to steaks, but Mike Miller could. Mark Lowry, you can bring me a steak next week and you can try it. He chuckled a little bit. He said, want to bet? Not many people, I think, can outcook me, but Mike Miller could. He was a deacon. He was on the stewardship team at my home church. I think they were going through budget planning a few years ago. He was at that meeting. 
He went home, said hey to his wife, ate his dinner, sat in his recliner, and he died. And everybody that you talk to about Mike Miller's passing said, man, ain't that the exact way God would take him out. Take him out when he's resting from having done the Lord's work. If you go out today, is it going to be said that you were serving the Lord, that you were obedient in serving? And here's the other thing. It motivates us for worship. It motivates us for worship. Living with eternity in mind motivates us for worship. It motivates us to worship holy God. Because here's the reality. Life is but a vapor. It is but a vapor. You don't have a lot of time. You, you, you don't have a lot of bandwidth to be doing all the things that don't matter. In Psalm 139, verse 16, the Bible says that your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book, and they were planned before a single one of them began. God knows your beginning, and he knows the end of your life. He knows the exact second it's going to happen. He knows how it's going to happen. Life is but a vapor. Life is momentary. Psalm 118, 24, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We worship God because each day is an opportunity to enjoy Him and to worship Him. It is a gift given by Him to us every day that you are still alive. Whether you were 15 or 85 or anything in between or anything over 85, it is an opportunity to worship God and to begin to practice the enjoyment of God both now and forever. Right now, in this moment, you are living in eternity. You are an eternal being. You will live forever somewhere. Will that be heaven or hell? Psalm 39.4, the psalmist says, Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. My sister is nine years older than me. I use her as my reality check. I mean, nine years older is not that much older, but it's just old enough to remind me of the quickness of life. I have friends who are uh, 50 years my senior, who are sick and, and, and who are uh, uh, walking toward glory even right now. They are a reminder of the brevity of life. I look at these people, I don't think that they're old. I don't. Those of you who say, well, I'm 70-something years old and I'm old. Oh, please. I, I don't buy that. I do not buy that. I don't. I love you, but I don't buy it. We've got some of you who are in your 80s and 90s. I don't think you're old. But life is brief. Brandon Lott was early 30s and he passed. Shared the gospel with a young lady last night who's 31. Just a few years younger than Brandon was. Life is brief. It's momentary. Make me aware of my end, the number of my days, so that I may know how short-lived I am. Psalm 78, 39. He remembered that they were only flesh. A wind that passes and does not return. You will never get this hour back that you have spent here today. Those 40-hour work weeks you're working or those 60-hour work weeks, you'll never get them back. When I was an associate pastor, I was the staff rep to the stewardship team at our church. And um, 
prior to each stewardship meeting, uh, I would get a uh, comprehensive uh, report of all of our finances that week, uh, that, that month. And I would sit in my office and I would go line by line through that report. And I think I've shared this story here before. And uh, I was in my office, it was almost seven o'clock at night. And I did not have to be there going through that report, but I felt like I did. And it's almost seven o'clock, I'm about halfway through this report, and I had a lot more to go. And I had this epiphany, this eureka moment, in which I said, well, this is stupid. If I go home and die tonight, nobody's going to care that I didn't finish reading the report today. Lord, I think I'm going to go get that pizza from Pizza Inn and be done with this report for today. I think I had Pizza Inn that night. Maybe I didn't. When I was living that bachelor life, I ate a lot of pizza. But um, all these 40 hours, and you have to work 40 hours, I get that. And you have to work the 60 hours, and I, I work 40 as well, work more than 40. Uh, but the 50, the 60-hour weeks, can I just tell you something? What good are you going to be to your family and to your church family if that kills you? had a conversation with one of our deacons here that I've got to take better care of myself. Otherwise, this place will be the death of me. And if it ain't this place, it'll be another place. I've got to take good care of myself. I have to manage stress. I have to do these things because I want to live a life worshiping God, not crippled by the stress and the, 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 the weight of things that, you know what? If I get to it, I get to it. And if I don't, I don't. Have I been obedient to everything God placed before me today? Am I making sense here? Job 6, uh, 7, 6 to 7. My days pass more swiftly than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is but a breath. So how are you going to spend your life? Are you going to spend it building your own kingdom or are you going to spend it building God's kingdom? You don't have many days. I don't have many days. So how, how are you going to make it count? Do you want to make it count, or are you content being discontent? A.W. Tozer, and we're coming to a close with this, wrote in the book, The Crucified Life, listen to this. He's speaking about people who really want to honor God, to know God, to worship God in this life. This is what he writes. He says, they just want to know God and want to be holy. They want to seek the face of Jesus until they are aglow with his light. It is not a matter of how deep you have come, but do you have your diving suit on? It is not how far the arrow has sped, but has the arrow left the bow? It is not not that you are perfect, but that you thirst after perfection. Or is your religion social? Are you satisfied with the once-on-Sunday sort of religion? God has given you the wind, the rain, a body to contain your wonderful soul. He has given you an amazing mind and many fine abilities. He sustains you, holds you up, keeps your heart beating, and waits to receive you yonder. But do you toss him a crumb so God gets what is left behind? Does God get only the tattered bits of your time? Yet you say you are a follower of the Lamb? Do not fool yourself. You are not if you don't go deeper into the crucified life. Here's what Tozer's saying. If you live your life 
only aiming for the surface. Only aiming for that, I just want a get-out-of-hell-free card. I want my fire insurance. What Tozer says is this, don't be fooled. You don't have what you claim you have. Christ came to transform the people he's redeemed. You have been transferred, says Paul in Ephesians, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Your life is more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's more than fire insurance. If you know Christ, then your life is to count for Him, not yourself. Now, you might be in here thinking, so what? What does all this mean? Well, I asked you at the beginning of this what quarter you're in, and now I ask you this. How are you playing in the game? Are you playing the game that it might count for the king of the kingdom and the kingdom of the king? Or are you playing it so that it will count for you? Paul says that at the end of your life, at the end of time, everything will be tried as through fire. And that only the things done for God in God's power and to the glory of God will remain. Everything else will become ash. If you're going to put all this energy and effort into obedience, don't you think you want it to count? Don't you think you want it to last? So Christian... Will you commit to finishing strong for your Lord with however much time you have left? Whether it's one day or 50 years. For some of you, I hope it'll be a lot longer. If I can get 80 years, I'll be happy. But if the Lord takes me before, well, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, Lord, thank you. If you're not a believer, your life can't count for anything. The, the, the most you can hope to get out of life if you're an unbeliever is to get through this life as unscathed as humanly possible. And by the way, just because you come to Christ doesn't mean you're going to get out unscathed. I still get beat up, bloodied up, bruised up, and dusted up following Christ. But what it does mean is that because I know Christ, there's purpose behind the suffering. God redeems the suffering. He doesn't waste anything. But if you don't know Christ, you're not living for anything worthwhile. And the Bible says that if you're not living for Christ, you are dead in your sin and trespasses. Sin is anything we think, say, or do that displeases God and breaks His rules. And that sin will result in death. It will result in not only physical death, but an eternal death in a place called hell. And the only way you can be saved is by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in your heart that God indeed raised Him from the dead for everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'm just going to tell you something. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus, you have every reason to leave from this place absolutely discouraged and disenfranchised if you walk out of here never trusting and surrendering your heart and mind to the risen Lord. 
Because if you walk out these doors, and I'm not trying to fear monger you, I'm not trying to scare you into heaven, I'm just calling it like it is, and I'm telling you like it is. If you walk out of these doors, and you get in your vehicle, and you turn on 613, and you die in a car accident, you don't know Christ, you will spend an eternity in hell. Well, I was in a church service before, and I've had a hamburger from McDonald's, but I'm not a McDonald's employee, nor am I a hamburger. So come to Christ. Thank you again for choosing the podcast of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church. To learn how to have a relationship with Jesus, simply click the Jesus tab on our website at fourmilecreek.org. Until next week, may you continue to follow Jesus and make Him known in the everyday stuff of life.